Well, welcome to New Life. We're so thankful that you're joining us online this weekend. As we have been for the previous several weeks, we are walking our way through the book of Galatians. And honestly, friends, I can't believe that we're already through a good part of Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we have had an opportunity over the past several weeks to, to learn so much. And if I'm honest, I've been challenged, I've been encouraged all the emotions as we've walked through this series, and even as one of your pastors, there's been insights that, that I've gleaned over the previous few weeks that, that I hadn't considered before. So if you've missed any of those messages, we'd invite you to go to newlifexn.org uh, and check out some of those online messages, view some of the previous ones, because we're going to be referencing a few things today that we've discussed very thoroughly in previous weeks and you can go back and reference that again if you've missed anything. But as we've emphasized throughout the past couple of weeks, the, the book of Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the folks in Galatia, and he is really hammering, and over these past couple of weeks, especially last week, this week, and again next week, he's really hammering home the freedom that we have in Jesus. Now, the people in Galatia had decided that Instead of accepting this freedom, they wanted to return to the law, and they were influenced heavily by a group that we've talked about a lot over the past few weeks called the Judaizers. If you're not familiar with them, go back and watch some of those previous messages because we really go into that in full. But last week, Pastor Chris mentioned how whereas in, under the law we were considered to be slaves, under the new law, the new covenant, I should say, with Jesus, we're no longer slaves, but we are actually considered to be heirs, sons and daughters of God, co-heirs with Jesus. And so Paul was explaining to the, to the Galatians at that time how they were able to be sons and daughters of God. Imagine the freedom, and Pastor Chris shared a couple of incredible stories about that. But despite that promise, these folks wanted to go back into slavery. Think about that for a moment. They wanted to go back into slavery. They felt like they had to earn the favor of God. And over the past week, I've really been thinking that through. In what ways have I, in my life, this past week and in the past, how have I tried to earn the favor of God? Am I living out of the freedom that He calls us to, or am I trying to somehow please Him or show Him that I'm worthy of what He has freely given me already? And I actually want to say today that I believe, that we believe, that if we're doing the right things, then God has to bless what we're doing. If we're doing the right things, then oftentimes we think that God has to bless what we're doing. The reality is, none of us can do enough right things. If we could, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die for our sins, right? He wouldn't have had to abolish the law. Actually, it says he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. He wouldn't have had to do any of those things because we could have earned the right to be God's children or earn his favor. But what Paul is saying in the message of Jesus is we couldn't do that. We couldn't do it perfectly. And that leads us to our take-home point today. As we walk through the scripture, the book of Galatians, it's the one point that I'm hoping to make that we can take with us and live out this week, and it quite simply is this. True freedom comes from being freed from the law and living in Jesus. True freedom comes from the law, excuse me, being freed from the law and living in Jesus. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, or 
Also, if you have with you today the Galatians uh, study and prayer guide, it's actually, we're going to be using uh, page 20 in the booklet today. But if you have your Bible or your Bible app, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4 today, verses 8 through 20. There's also, as you're watching online today, you'll see a little section that says notes. It has all of my notes for today, all the scripture passages as well. Lots of resources available for you. But we're going to be focusing on Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. And, and it's As we have been, we're going to reference a few verses, talk about it. We'll be jumping around a bit, so just make sure that you're aware of that today. But before we get into the Scripture, let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I praise you for the goodness of who you are. Lord, as always, I ask that as we look into your Word, you would reveal yourself to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister to our spirits, that we would be changed and transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would remind us of the freedom that we ultimately have in you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20, we're going to be looking at the first couple of verses to start. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, Why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Now, don't you love how Paul sets the context here, right? He reminds the Galatians of their past and it points them forward to their present, how they used to be slaves to false gods. And guys, here's the interesting and actually the tricky thing about false gods. We don't know what it takes to appease them. We don't know what they want. And we don't know how we can appease them. I'm reminded of this every time I go to Asia. If you've never had an opportunity to travel uh, to to foreign lands where they worship false gods very actively, uh, it can be a bit of a shock because they offer, they have shrines to these gods and they offer all kinds of things. Some of them are practical like food or water. I guess the, the god needs to eat and drink, right? And then sometimes you'll see just stacks of what look like hundred dollar bills, but upon closer examination, you realize it's fake money. Um, And so that's the challenge is when you're offering things to a false god, you don't know what will appease them. And Paul was referencing this because the Galatians would have worshipped false gods and they wouldn't have known how to appease those gods either. Actually, I've heard it said that one of the blessings of the Jewish law that we've referenced a lot throughout our time in walking through Galatians. One of the blessings was for the Jewish people that even though it was extensive, over 600 laws, they knew exactly what it would take to appease God. They didn't have to question it. Now, as we've learned, they couldn't do it perfectly, but at least they had a framework. They had an idea of if we do this, then we ought to do that. If you don't have that framework, then you don't know what it takes to appease that false God. So let's just use this as an an example. Let's say that you know, you're a farmer because most folks back then were, were farmers. There's an agrarian uh, culture and society. And so you had a really good year and you offered to your false god five bushels of grain, right? And the next year you had a really bad year. So you thought, oh gosh, the god must be angry or, or the gods must be angry or there wasn't enough rain or whatever. So then you offered 10 bushels of wheat. And then as you went through good years and bad years, you wouldn't know exactly what would appease the God, but the number would get higher because you didn't know if the God was pleased or if the God was angry or if the gods, if you had many. And so eventually you offered more and more and more until eventually you would offer the things that were most precious to you, and that ultimately meant that you would offer your children. 
And interestingly, and sometimes tragically, if you read through the Old Testament, you would see that whenever the folks, uh, uh, the Israelites would start to worship foreign gods, that was always what happened. They would eventually offer their very children. And it's tragic, but they didn't know how to appease these gods. And this, something, this is something with which the Galatians would have been very familiar. And then they came to know Jesus, right? They didn't have to play this game anymore. They didn't have to keep guessing. They knew through relationship that God was ultimately pleased with them, that they were sons and daughters. But for some reason, this desire had returned. So Paul would go on to state, you're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. So why did the Gentiles, why are they making this switch? According to Paul, they're trying to earn the favor of God. They're trying to earn the favor of God. They used to attempt to earn the favor of false gods, and now they're trying to earn the favor of the true God. And they may have done this for a number of reasons. This is just conjecture, but maybe they did it because it was something with which they were familiar, right? They kind of knew this pattern. Maybe they did it because they felt like God was somehow displeased with them. We don't know. But what we do know is that Paul notes that they were trying to earn the favor of God. And let's be honest, we've all done that, right? We've done that. How many of us have offered a prayer something like this? God, I will serve you forever if only you will do thus and such. You know, sometimes it's kind of stupid, like, Lord, I'll serve you, serve you forever if you help me find my keys. Or I'll love you forever if maybe it's something that seems important at the time, like if this guy or this gal goes out with me, right? Depending upon, you know, if, if, we're, if we're trying to win the heart of, you know, that guy or that gal. Or sometimes it is very similar or very serious, right? Like, Lord, I will serve you if only my friend doesn't have cancer anymore, or if only you free me from this bondage. Right? We try to make this sort of contractual agreement with God. Lord, I'll do this if only you'll do this thing. Now, you're thinking, well, does that mean that we can't ask God for anything? No, of course we should ask God for things. Scripture tells us to do that, but we can't earn it. We can't earn it. It's not a transactional thing with God. He extends those things to us through his love and mercy and grace. Instead, we live out of freedom like the Apostle Paul did. And he's going to talk more about that here in a minute. But it's freedom from the law and trying to earn it. So Paul continues on, and he's making a personal appeal here to the Galatians. And he's trying to remind them how they first treated him. He says this, You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel for God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Now, Clearly, Paul's alluding to something that happened in the past here, and church tradition holds that there's something wrong, there was something wrong with the, the Apostle Paul's eyes. We don't know if he had poor eyesight, 
We actually don't know if it's some sort of effect from when he was blinded in the book of Acts, when, he was in, when you know, Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. What we do know is that it was apparent enough that folks in Galatia noticed it, right? And he references his eyes here and says, I know that you loved me and cared for me so much that if you could have actually taken out your own eyes and given them to me, you would have done that. What an incredible testimony of the folks in Galatia, how they cared for the Apostle Paul. But something had happened, right? Something had happened. And what we know is, what Paul says here, is that he spoke truth and love, and the relationship appears to have suffered. Why? Because Paul was trying to exhort them and to remind them of truth. And in the midst of that, they forgot They forgot how they had treated him, how they loved him, and and what he had done for them. Paul goes on to talk about the false teachers who were seeking to exploit these Galatians, these people who, in fact, were his friends. He says this, Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. So clearly these teachers are treating the folks in Galatia one way when Paul's around and then another way when he's gone. I don't know about you, but I learned that tactic early on uh, with my sister. You know, if my parents were around, I treated her one way, uh, but when they were gone, you know, I loved her more, maybe. You get the idea. And Paul's saying in this passage, look, listen, if they mean to do you good, that's okay, but they ought to do it all the time because the apostle Paul had treated them well regardless of the circumstance or the situation. Why? Because Paul had nothing to gain. Nothing to gain. He gave everything he had to these folks. He actually begins to allude to that here in this next passage. He says this, Oh, my dear children, oh, my dear children, excuse me, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now, so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else, how else to help you. He says, I don't know how else to help you. That's an incredible passage. What I love as we read through this, this final passage today is we really get a, a glimpse, a view at the heart of the Apostle Paul, his pastoral heart for these folks. He's he's pleading with them in this passage to remember his his love for them. It actually says here that he's in labor pains for them. Why? For his own benefit or gain? No. He desperately wants them to know, to come to know and continue on into their fullness in Jesus Christ until Christ has been fully developed in each and every one of them. It's an incredible passage. And he actually alludes to here, like, I'm probably being too harsh, but I don't know how how to convince you. I can't come to you. I'm in prison, but I love you so much. He wanted them to know the freedom in Jesus. And that freedom, friends, ought to be our motivation as well. And what does that freedom look like? I want to share a little bit of a story with you, something that happened over the past couple of weeks that points to, in a way, how the Lord gives me some freedom in my relationship with him. It will not be the same way for you. One of the things I love about God is he speaks to us uniquely in ways that we can understand as individuals. He speaks to me in a way that no one else can. 
No one else on this world can speak to me like my heavenly Father does. And he'll do the same for you. But I think sometimes examples are helpful because the way that he speaks to me may also be a way that is similar to how he may speak to you. So, a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember exactly the date, I'd I'd had a very long day. And at the end of that very long day, I was pretty wiped out, I was pretty exhausted, I was pretty tired, and so I went to bed, and I don't know if you've had nights like this, but just couldn't settle, right? So throughout the night, kept waking up, tossing, turning, lots of things on my mind. Not a terrible day, not a terrible night, just one of those instances where I couldn't fall asleep. And so it was probably early morning when I finally fell asleep, and I don't know if you've had a night like this, but it seemed like I had just closed my eyes and my alarm went off. Now, I've shared with you that I like to get up fairly early in the morning, about 5, sometimes 5.30 at the latest, because it's very important for me to get up early because I like to spend the first part of my day with God. And I've also shared this with you that before I even get out of bed, I offer a simple prayer, right? I I say essentially, God, use this day, and I begin to dedicate it to the Lord. And I began to do that this morning uh, in question as well. And as I started into that, I just was so tired. And so I started into that prayer, and almost immediately, this little voice said to me, are you tired? And I went, yeah, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. And this voice said to me, well, why don't you get some more sleep? Now, I've been at this long enough to know when that little voice is something of God, it's not audible, it's more of an impression, but I often know when it's of God or when it's of my own selfish uh, nature, because if it's of God, I will usually argue with it. I'm just being honest, that's usually what happens. And so when that voice said, why don't you get some more sleep, I began to argue. I said, I, you know, I have a very busy day today. Uh, I need to spend the morning with, with the Lord. I need to have my time with God, which is really kind of funny because I was having my time with God right then, if you think about it, right? I was in prayer, um, and the Lord was, was trying to help me. But I was like, no, I've got all of these things I need to do today. I need to bring them before you. I need to do these things well. It's all very me-focused, Right? I had to earn something. I had to do something. And the voice said, don't you think that I can take care of that? And I thought, well, that's a good point. You know, the God of the universe can probably handle what I've got to do today. But then I felt guilt because I have to do something, right? I have to, as if I'm somehow the the catalyst for all this stuff for the day, which of course I'm not. And I started down that guilt path, and immediately the voice kind of kicked in and said, what would you do for your own children? Because for me, as a father, I love my kids. And if they'd had a difficult night, I'd want to comfort them. I'd want them to get rest. And as soon as that, as soon as that voice said that in my mind, oh, the tears started. You know, 5.15, 5.30 in the morning, the tears are there before my Lord because I knew what he was doing in that moment as a good father is he was loving me. I had freedom in that moment. And so I closed my eyes, and I slept for another 45 minutes to an hour, just basking in the goodness of God, who He is, and how He loves me. And thankfully, I woke up, not exhausted, I was still tired, but refreshed enough to go about my day, and He took care of it. And I missed my quiet time with the Lord that morning, but I was thankful that the next morning that I was able to get back to that regular schedule, and I learned so much about who God is and the freedom I have in Him through that experience. I'll talk about that more in a, in a bit. But ultimately, what I experienced is freedom. Friends, once we've tasted the freedom of God, 
It's a wonder why we ever want to go back. Honestly, with every passing day and month and year, the more that I experience the freedom that I have in Jesus Christ, I don't want to go back to those old ways. It's just much better. You know, can I be honest with you for a moment? As I read through the words of the Apostle Paul and the labor pains that he has for those who do not yet know the full freedom of Jesus, as I read through those words, I thought of all the folks over whom I have those labor pains, right? As a pastor, as someone who's known Jesus for a long time, there's a lot of folks that come to mind that I go, oh, I just wish they could experience the freedom that we have in Jesus. I hope that they come to know him, or if they do know him, that they would grow to be like him to experience that freedom. Why do I have that? Because there's literally been dozens of folks who have had that for me, right? Who have prayed for me. And honestly, it's much better on this side. I want each and every one of us today, you're watching online, and I know some of you and others I don't, but hear my heart cry. I want you to know the freedom that you can have in and through Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul says, that we would know him in fullness, that we would know the full measure of Jesus, that we would come and that we would be set free. And I'll make this promise to you today. The moment that that dies within me, the moment that I don't have labor pains like that any longer for folks, I won't be a pastor anymore. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because as I continue to experience the freedom, I just want others to know it as well. And frankly, that's my promise, is that I'll continue to be about that. And so, just know that as a pastor, as one of your pastors, and as other pastors also who are on staff here, just know that our desire is for you to come to know that freedom. So just bear with us sometimes as we challenge or exhort or as we remind, or as frankly, we hope and pray that all of us would come to that fullness, that full measure in Jesus. In fact, if you've known Jesus for a long time, I would hope and pray that you would have those same labor pains for others in your life. Those that don't yet know Jesus, those that do know Jesus, who have yet to come to know that fully. And if you don't have that, and you've known Jesus for a long time, I would challenge you to begin to pray that the Lord would reveal those in your life over whom you can have those pains. Because that means that you've begun to experience the freedom of God, and you want others to experience that as well. Now, does this freedom mean that we get to do whatever we want, right? Does it mean we get to do whatever we want, whenever we want to do it? No, I mean, that's the lie of our culture, right? Our culture says do whatever you want, but ultimately if we do whatever we want, that just leads to more bondage. And it's not also sort of these rigors or repetitions of religion. Think about it. If I was under the law, if I was tired in the morning, it didn't matter. I'd have to go and do this thing, right? It would mean that even if I wanted to or not, I'd have to worship at that shrine or make that offering or reach out to that false god. It wouldn't matter in my natural state. But that's not what it means. It means that we get to be about the work of Jesus and what he's doing in and through our lives in that relationship. Honestly, for the past several months, I've been pondering more and more and more what it means for the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. Think about that. As Christians, we have the promise that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus promised that he would send us the Spirit who would lead and guide us in all truth. We read about that in John 16. 
And in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we also have the promise that as that Spirit resides in us, as the Holy Spirit resides in us, we're transformed so that we reflect the Spirit and we look like Jesus. And I've been really thinking that through. What does that mean? And, you know, what does it mean as a Christian? And what I've ultimately come to decide and come to realize is, as, as a Christian, it's, very, it's based very little on what I do. It's based very little on what, I'm do, on what I do, but what I'm willing to have done to me. Now, here's what that means. Think about this. If we're about religion, religion is all about control. We can re- control religion, but in a relationship with Jesus, we don't control much. So religion says, if I do this, then I get that, right? If I make this offering, then I receive this. If I pray to this deity or this shrine or this statue or whatever, then the Lord will bless me. There's a reciprocity there, and it's based upon what I do. I do this thing, and I get the reward. However, a relationship is much more all-encompassing and requires time and effort and energy and, let me say this, trust. Lots of trust. So a relationship, much more all-encompassing, right, requires time effort, energy, and trust. That's the challenge. As Pastor Chris said last week, it's our nature to control what we don't trust. We want to control things. But in this relationship, it's not about what I do, but on what I'm willing to let God do in and through me. Do I trust him enough to let him do whatever he wants? Do I trust him enough to allow him to set me free? Do I trust him enough that it's not based upon what I do, but what he's going to do in and through me, how he will change and transform me. It's how the Apostle Paul got to know and experience Jesus and experience that freedom. And because of that, he had labor pains for these folks who were going back into that control issue, right? They were walking back towards control. They wanted to control this thing. And he goes, no, don't do that. As we live in freedom this week, right, as we seek that, we'll, believe, we'll be living out what is our next step. And it quite simply is this, I will exercise my freedom in Jesus this week. The Jesus part is critical, and here's why. Last week, Pastor Chris talked a little bit about overflow. If you missed that message, please go back and watch it, because that overflow bit is very vital. It's worth the price of admission. We ought to understand that. And when it comes to experiencing true freedom in Jesus, we have to live out of an overflow with him. Now, we overflow with his spirit is what Pastor Chris said last week. Now, you're, you may be thinking, Pastor Barry, you said it's not about what you do. And didn't God let you sleep in? And the answer is yes, he did. But the next morning, I didn't have to go do that thing. I didn't have to go spend time with the Lord, but I wanted to. Why? because I wanted to tell him about everything that happened over the previous day. I wanted to sit down and share with him what he had done and the joys of that moment. The, the Gospels, not, excuse me, not the Gospels, but the Bible shares the story of Moses and how he talked with God as one talks with a friend. That's an image that we get. And I get to share with my heavenly Father what he's done and what he's doing. And as I sit at his feet, he begins to encourage me. He begins to support me. He challenges me. He goes, what about this area of your life over here? Or you did well over there. He speaks to me in a way that only I can understand. And yeah, he let me sleep in one day. But the next day, I got to spend time with him. It's not a religious thing. 
But as I sat at his feet, he again began to shape and transform me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And I experienced his freedom. And it's that freedom that we have through him that I want us all to come to know. Friends, to experience overflow means that we begin to pour forth his spirit, his fruit in our lives. And as we say often here at New Life, it's simple, but it's not easy. Sure, we can go through all the rituals and gyrations of of religion, and we get to control that. And there is some appeal to that, but it pales in comparison to the relationship that we get to have with Jesus and the freedom that comes as a result. At some point, we have to move from a sense of obligation to a love relationship with a Father who loves us more than we'll ever know. For when we do, we get to live out of that overflow. We get to live in and through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. And as a result, we experience the true freedom that only He can provide. And that, friends, is a goal that is certainly worth pursuing. And it's my hope and prayer that in the the days and weeks to come, that as we experience the freedom that we only have in and through Jesus, that He will produce the fruit in us that only he can. Amen? Amen. True freedom, friends, starts with that relationship with Jesus. And if you've yet to take that next step of declaring Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, why not today? Here at New Life, we say it's simple. It's not easy. It's simple because we just admit and believe and confess uh, about who Jesus is, that he's our Savior and Lord. It's not easy because it's the first step of many as we come to acknowledge him as the savior of our lives, but also the Lord, which means he gets to tell us what to do. So when we admit, we ultimately admit that we're a sinner, that we are in need of him as a savior. Uh, We don't admit, frankly, that we are just sinners, but we also admit that we can't do this life on our own, which is true. We believe, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is our savior and Lord of our lives. And as such, he has the right to tell us what to do. And then we confess. We don't confess just our sins, but we confess the need for him to come and save us from sin and death and to reign over us as Lord of our lives and in and through us. If that's you today, I would invite you that to take the opportunity as we pray to make that next step. You can just let us know online by saying that you accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord today and someone will follow up with you. Uh, Because this step is a big step. It's an important step. It is a vital next step and we would love to follow up with you today. So if that's you, as we pray, I'd invite you to do so. If you do know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it's my hope and prayer that you would take what we have learned today, that you would invest in that relationship with Jesus and live it out in the days and weeks to come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here today. Lord, for any who do not yet know you, I pray that right now you would prompt in their spirit. Father, that you would let them know of their need for you. And that they would respond simply by saying, Lord, come into my life. I'm a sinner. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I believe that you are the Savior and Lord of my life. You're not just a good teacher, you're not just a good man, but you are, in fact, the Son of God. And as a result, I dedicate my life to you. I confess 
that I have fallen short and I confess that I need you and I pray that right now you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come into my life to rule and to reign. Lord, for all of us who do know you, I would ask that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take the word, that you would take the words of your Bible, of of Scripture, and that you would apply them to our hearts, that we wouldn't just understand them intellectually, but Father, that we would come to know them by experience as we walk it out. I pray that we would experience the freedom that we can only have in you. I thank you and praise you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, friends. Have a blessed week.